0: Welcome to the Growth Lab. I am Taj Singh, personal growth enthusiast, world traveler, sales professional, on a spiritual journey to live my highest expression. This podcast is meant for individuals looking to evolve in all aspects of their lives. I interview leaders and coaches that have a passion to grow beyond the status quo and expand into their highest potential. Let's dive into it as we help you get 1% better with every episode. What's up, everyone? Super excited to announce your guest for episode 29, Guru Ganesha Khalsa, also known as Ganesh. Ganesh is the executive chairman and co-founder of Conscious Selling. He's considered by many to be the most sought-after sales trainer in the global tech universe. Ganesh blends savvy New York street smarts, Eastern Metaphysical Insight, and mastery of conscious selling, consultative, trust-building sales methodology in an electrifying training style. His unique brand of sales edutainment is generously spiced with hilarious and uplifting stories garnered during a colorful 45 years sales, sales management, and sales training career. Tens of thousands of successful high-tech sales professionals worldwide consider their days spent in training with Ganesh as seminal. His extensive client list is a who's who of top tech companies in the world, including Salesforce, LinkedIn, Slack, Dropbox, Elastic, BMC, Dell, Oracle, Cisco, among many others. Now, in this episode, we cover how did Ganesh get into sales and become a sales trainer. We discuss the birth of conscious selling and the vision behind it and how to sell from a place of fullness and integrity. And then we dive deeper into conscious selling messaging and methodology. Now, this was such an episode. This was such a special episode. And I'm so grateful that Ganesh joined us and shared his wisdom on this episode. This was really one of my favorites. And I'm super excited for you guys to listen in. Ganesh, thank you so much for joining us for an episode of The Growth Lab.
1: Dej, what a pleasure to be with you.
0: Yeah, when, I was saying this to you right before we connected. The first time I spoke with you and connected with you, I've been really excited about this conversation, and I really do think it's going to be a good one, uh, combining a lot of facets of your life and, and talking about conscious selling uh, specifically. But I think a good starting point for us, Ganesh, is really discussing how you got involved into sales and sales training and, and specifically, because I'm sure that wasn't the career choice from the beginning and it evolved into being that. So let's, let's start there and then we can kind of unpack and uncover your journey till now.
1: Yes. uh uh My uh, Irish Catholic mother wasn't uh, 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 telling me, son, I want you to be a salesman. you know. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, but, uh, you know, I, I, um, I grew up, uh, my father's Russian Jewish ancestry, my mother's Irish Catholic. I was born 70 years ago, a little over 70 years ago, in 1950 in Boston, Massachusetts. And I was kind of raised in a kind of a uh, middle-class environment. And uh, really when I was uh, young, I was into, you know, playing baseball and basketball, and uh, I was a huge sports fan. And then, you know, the 60s set in and I started experimenting with the mind-altering substances and ended up going to college at uh, Clark University of Worcester, Mass., which is famous. It's one of the schools Sigmund Freud came to when he came to America way back when. So, uh, so I was majoring in psychology, which can really mess you up, you know. You, <laughs> as a young man, I started to think every ailment <laughs> that they talked about. I had it, you know. <laughs> so uh i I, I still need twenty one credits to get my bachelor's in psychology. my mother listening littler, literally to her dying day said, "Son, you've got to get your degree." I said, "Mom, I'm almost 70 years old. I make a good living." He said, "But you'll never know when you'll need that degree." <laughs> So I, I feel guilty because I promised her I would, but you know I don't think I'm going to end up doing it anyway. She'll forgive me though. She her love was unconditional. So I left um, college, uh, you know, in 1971 72. I had a rock and roll band. I'm also a musician. I've got a lot of a lot of music uh, on the web in in various places, and uh, but it's interesting. Then uh, you know. It's interesting when you, I met a a woman uh, that I fell in love with and married her and had a son and all of a sudden reality hits you, you know, it's like, (laughs) uh, you know, my wife wanted us to have a nice home and live somewhere where there would be good, really good quality public schools. And all of a sudden you realize, wow, I need to generate revenue. And uh, so what is a guy who uh, uh, you know still needs 21 credits to have a bachelor's in psychology, who to make a living? Well, I bus, I was a bus boy in a Holiday Inn for a while. That wasn't very sad, very much fun, and didn't generate a whole lot of money. And then I, I ended up doing some telephone sales. You know, they, I, I ran into an ad about, uh, you know, hey, uh, looking for somebody with a good speaking voice. And I felt like I've got a pretty good speaking voice. And it uh, you could make a base of $10 an hour. Well, wow. That was a lot of money back in the mid 70s. And, uh, but you know what? It was a very unethical business. I, I, I went to work there and I actually did quite well, but uh, uh, I realized it was a bit of a scam. Took me a while to realize it. And I've always been somebody trying to, you know, be guided by my better angels. And uh, so uh, I ended up leaving that and started, you know, I, I was, in the meantime, I, I, I met a, a teacher, a yoga and meditation from India got very, uh, that, that, that helped me get off all the drugs that I had been using in college, you know. My, my band was uh, what they call an acid rock band, and we even did acid for rehearsals. So for about three to four years, I, I must have taken about 150, 200 LSD trips. Okay. And, uh, you know, I had some very cosmic experiences, but, uh, you know, it's also, uh, there was a certain point where my soul was crying out. And, you know, I feel like the voice of the soul is a very quiet voice, but it was screaming. And it was saying, hey, man, you better find an alternative way to live your life. Or you're going to die young, you know. And I, so I started doing yoga with the gentleman from India in meditation. He happened to be of the Sikh path, too. We got him talking about the Sikh path. And I learned about the teachings of Guru Nanak who uh, talked about oneness and I'd had experiences of oneness under the influence of LSD, you know, that the whole universe was just protons, neutrons and electrons vibrating and it was one electric current running through everything. So it appealed to me, but that you know, so I embraced the Sikh path, became a yogi, meditator. And so I wanted to work in such a way that was an alignment that who I was becoming as a human being, he, and he also, I asked for a spiritual name and he gave me the name Guru Ganesha Khalsa. And uh, I liked it, it was kind of a fresh start because my old name was kind of like a mantra for my old lifestyle,
2: you know? Yeah.
1: So it was a, it was a fresh start. i married, have a son, but uh, you know, I realized, you know, maybe sales is a good profession for me, particularly if I'm selling something that I have conviction and that I believe helps people, you know? Mm. So I had a friend, uh, who was also had become a, a westerner, become a Yogi and embrace the Sikh path, who was sold, and uh, developed a computerized retail management system for retail, uh, uh, shoe store, uh, stores, uh, that had goods with sizes, mm. sporting goods, shoes, clothing. And, uh, he, uh, uh, he, he and I were friends and he said, uh, Ganesh, why don't you come work for me and sell these computer systems? And uh, at the time I was actually selling, uh, you know, healthy footwear. I don't know if you, you're probably too young to remember uh, earth shoes and things like that, but I was selling uh, Birkenstocks. Uh, they were a sandal made in Germany, shaped like your foot, with arch support, metatarsal support, and I really believed, especially for working people, waiters, waitresses, this was healthy. And I and I was I, I was doing really well, but you don't make a lot of money selling. You know, I was a wholesale rep selling to stores, but uh, my friend Mahan came to me and said, "You know, Ganesh, I think you can sell our computer systems." And I said, "Well, I mean." I'm not a technical person. He said, you know, you don't have to be technical to sell technology. You just have to understand the concepts at 100,000 feet. You have to understand the challenges that your prospective clients have, the biggest challenges that they have, that your solutions address. And then you can later on, you know, if, they're, if they are, are serious, and they're as committed as you to the sales process, you can bring in one of what they call sales engineers to kind of get in the weeds and deliver the proof that your solution's actually going to work technically, and it's going to give them, but you know, uh, you know, the business ROI that they're seeking to justify the investment. So I started selling those systems early on, and it didn't too, do too well the first six months or so because I was trying to sell them the way I was selling footwear, which was demoed, you know. When you're, when you're a wholesale rep for for, uh, for line of shoes, your goal is to uh, walk into a store. If you don't know the buyer or the owner, you crack a joke, develop a little rapport, and then ask them if they have 10 minutes and you can lay your shoes out on a table. You know, it was usually a one-call business because if they said, I want to think it over, it was basically over. It was either, oh, I'll take a, a dozen of those. No, 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 no not the best way to sell complex big dollar technical solutions you know and of course most tech companies in the early days that's their approach the traditional approach was you try to convince your prospective client to, to uh sit still for a demo and you go in there and you and you try to wow them with your technology meanwhile their eyes are glazing over and their minds are going elsewhere trying to solve the problems that they're dealing with before you showed up and uh so um i was fortunate that the president of the company sent me to a uh, a sales training program called sandler and uh i, I even though at the time it didn't resonate a hundred percent for me i liked the consultative approach to it came across a bit manipulative but uh uh the the idea was hey the prospective client should be do, doing 70 percent 80 percent of the talking because uh unless you understand what's working, what's not working for them, then how, what are you gonna present? It's, you know, then your demo is just throwing a bunch of stuff against the wall and hoping hope something sticks, right? Show up, throw up. So I started to apply the techniques, but I added in a little more consciousness. I changed the intention from making a sale. My intention was to only do business if both parties were convinced it was a good fit and that the prospective client would uh, get a great return on their investment. And so it wasn't enough for them to write me a check. They also needed to commit to me that they were gonna invest the necessary time, energy and resources to have a successful implementation because without a successful implementation, without the commitment of the buyer, they're never gonna get the return on investment no matter how good your solution is. So to make a long story short, this kind of selling system that I started to develop combining Sandler and combining some of my Eastern philosophies, you know, Uh, and also I did a lot of meditation before for a sales call, so I was very calm. And my selling system was, uh, you know, uh, 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 just basically to first get an agreement that we could spend the first half of the meeting so I could better understand why they even agreed to the appointment, you know, and, understand what their challenges are in the areas where I might be able of service, understand the history behind those challenges? Did they just recently manifest or have they been dealing with those challenges for five years? And if, if they've been dealing with them a while, what have they done in that five-year period to try to improve the situation? You know, And then also to understand, well, are these challenges having any quantifiable impact on your business and and also to the buyer personally where the the finding a better way where does it rank on your list of personal priorities because have you noticed Tej, that most salespeople are trying to drag their buyers kicking and screaming to the decision-making altar
2: mm-hmm.
1: i decided that wasn't the the smartest approach nor the most conscious approach that they're truly this it, truly needed to be a a dialogue, a process of equals. So there needed to be a mutual level of commitment every step of the way. But, you know, reality is you can't force somebody, you can't force a buyer to be as committed as you are to the next steps, mm. but you can find out. And just because they have challenge, technical challenges, for example, that are having a, a big, economic impact on their organization doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to even if you give them the hope you have the best solution doesn't mean they're going to commit to walking side by side with you through the process Mm. because you know so that's an important thing that a seller's got to find out after finding out everything else is titch finding a better way how high of a personal priority to you Mm-hmm. so I, I started using developing a selling system where there was 180 degree role reversal because the typical seller thinks their job is to convince the buyer to buy and conscious selling we teach sales and i've used it myself for decades now mm-hmm. to be a great facilitator and to facilitate a conversation where in essence, it becomes the prospective client's responsibility first to acknowledge or convince you they have challenges in the area that you have solution. Then get them to tell you about the history, which they're always happy to tell you about the history to find out has there been any sense of urgency? Have they looked at any competitive solutions? Are they trying to build a solution internally in their IT department? And then facilitating them articulating and quantifying has there been any substantive business financial impact on their organization are they leaving money on the table because they can't solve these problems and then finding out hey where does this rank is this high enough priority for you that if i can give you the hope that i might have the better way that first off you'll spend the time to co-build a plan with me that defines an effective, efficient way to work together. So you have what you need to be able to say yes or no in a mutually agreeable timeframe. And then, uh, you know, that throughout that process uh, and and I'm giving them permission to say no anytime, but Mm. not to jerk me around. Mm. And uh, I think this is why our, you know, our organization and our selling system is so popular because salespeople, get tired of uh, be- degenerating from human beings into common household pests,
2: <laughs>
1: leaving voicemail messages and emails that don't get returned. Yeah. So in any event, uh, I, in that, I, I worked with this company called MicroStrategies for a number of years. I moved from the first year not doing too, too well to uh, where in 84, 85, 86, I was a top rep out of about 35 reps. And uh, some of the other reps said, uh, this before I was in the training business. So some of the other reps are like, Ganesh, what are you doing out there? We had a bet that somebody looked like you was never gonna make a sale. Now you're the top guy in the organization by far. What the hell are you doing out there? <laughs> so I basically, uh, you know, just as a friend, uh, you know, to, to uh, my friends and the uh, uh, fellow salespeople I started to share with them my philosophy, share with them some of the stuff that I learned from Sandler, some of the stuff that I learned uh, through yoga and meditation and how I blended it together. And interestingly enough, a couple of the reps uh, uh, that uh, I was working with, just like this, just talking. Although we didn't have uh, Zoom in those days, it was all on the phone, you know? The phones were hanging off the wall, not in your pocket. (laughs) And uh, they started to do better. And Before you know it, the president of the company said, "Hey Ganesh, you seem to have a real uh, flair for uh, helping others. How would you like to be, uh, 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 you know, be our sales trainer?" I said, "Well, I don't know. My, you know, uh, 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 my wife has a very high standard of living. My understanding is that trainers don't make a lot of money." And I said to him, "I said, well," uh, he said. No, no, I still want you to, you're gonna still have your bag and your quota. I'll just pay you a little bit extra to, uh, you know, couple of times a month, uh, you know, go to the different regional offices and, uh, and teach the others. I said, okay. So I kept, I kept going there. I, I, I continued to sell and be the top rep. And the fact that I was the top rep made uh uh i i think it commands a little respect in a sales organization Mm -hmm. people uh, are open to hearing what the hell are you doing out there
2: yeah
1: (laughs) one of the gals in the organization would embrace some of my you know the core concepts i what i was teaching said you know ganesh you should consider getting into the training business you could make a lot of money i said make a lot of money trainers don't make a lot of money I said, no, oh, her brother-in-law was making $10,000 a day delivering sales training. And by the way, in the late 80s, $10,000 a day was a lot of money. And I'm like, 10000 I said, really? So I, I started doing the due diligence and I ended up in 89 buying a Sandler franchise. Not because I embraced their whole philosophy because a lot of the way, you know, a little bit of the way that Sandler presented it was kind of like, hey, here's how to have a manipulative edge over the buyer. But so much of the core concepts were spot on in terms of sales process and sequence and everything. So I bought the franchise so I had access to their uh, intellectual property, but I started at blending in my, uh, you know, uh, what I felt were more conscious concepts. Mm -hmm. Like the intention was not to sell everybody. I think intention is very important because people do business with people they like and trust. Mm And they'll only trust you if they, uh, meaning they'll only move from being defensive to being in a growth mode if they believe that you're truly committed to doing what's right, not just what's in your best interest. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, because almost every buyer in the entire universe, including us, because we buy too, right, have had bad experiences at some point in their buying career with the typical pushy, obnoxious, self-centered, self-serving, overly aggressive seller. Haven't you, Tej? Yep, I have. So as a result, I bet you, you carry around in your psyche a bit of a stereotype because we live in a world, regrettably, we live in a world of stereotypes. But I bet you, you like so many, like me and other folks out there, have a stereotype of what a sales, typical salesperson is like. So when you get into a buyer-seller situation or they're a little bit wary, oh, is this guy, is this company predatory? Meaning they want to do business no matter what, whether it's in me as the client, prospective client's best interest or not. So before you even have a chance of having a substantive conversation, a meaningful conversation with a prospective client, you have to help them move from, being in a defense defensive posture to being what I call a growth posture. Mm-hmm. Meaning they start to look at you and say, hmm, yeah, this guy's different. He seems to really, he listens. He's really trying, he's really curious. He, he's trying to understand what's really going on here. And he, most importantly, cares about doing what's right. But once you start transmitting that trustworthiness, people open up and you could start to have real Conversations. Then you need to have a sales system, a sales process that is alignment in alignment with that intention and that consciousness. So that's what I've developed. Mm. Yeah,
0: thank you. I've
1: hold out conscious selling uh, in uh, a little uh, right around January uh, two thousand eighteen. So what that's we're about celebrating our third anniversary.
0: Got it. Thank you for that. Thank you for that, Ganesha, as you walk through sort of so many different, um, uh, parts of your journey that happened and you, thank you for summarizing it in such a, such a short period. And we can spend, uh, some time in each one of those elements, right? Just the acid trips that you had, I'm sure there's stories, uh, that we could, we could have a whole podcast about what that looked like. Uh,
1: <laughs> every 70 year old has a lot of stories.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, uh, d- just to, just to hone in on some elements that you mentioned and, you know, just to highlight a couple of things that really stuck out to me, um, you know, that you mentioned that uh, you, you developing this, this, um, kind of perspective where it's, you, you're going to only do business if it's a good fit, right? If it, if truly both parties have the right fit,
1: right. And, and that, that really, sticks. I tell people this when I'm in a buyer seller interaction and I train my students say right early on, maybe within the first minute, you, say, you you can let them know, Hey, I don't know, especially see, I train primarily technology reps who sell complex big dollar technical solutions. Although sometimes they're, you know, five. $1,000, $10,000 solutions, or it could be $5 million, $10 million solutions. But I, 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 I suggest to them that let your buyer know that you don't know yet if you're right for them.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: You're not right for everybody. So I'll ask you if you were the buyer, I'd say, so with your permission, Ted. Uh, 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 I'm hoping we can take maybe the first half of this hour long meeting so I can better understand what's working, what's not working, in the areas where we may have, may be able to help. In other words, what challenges are you facing in those areas? Yeah. And if those challenges are having a, a significant enough impact on your business to, to even be open to looking at possible solutions.
2: Mm.
1: And then halfway through the meeting, I'll be in a better position to speak to, A, whether or not I think we can help. And if so, I'll give you not a hour-long demo, I'll give you maybe a two to three-minute high-level overview, a conceptual overview of our solution mapped into the issues, the challenges that you actually care about. Mm -hmm. And then then we have uh, 15, 20 minutes at the the end of the meeting to decide, do we want to take some next steps or do we want to shake hands and part friends? And by the way are you the kind of guy if at any point during the meeting or by the end of the meeting you're feeling like there's just not a fit here you'll let me know yes Ted, i could take a no hmm. that's
0: that's beautiful right and i and i can imagine when you talk about the defensive versus growth posture that's you know that's shipping away at getting them into a growth posture. Yeah. Yeah, you
1: got to shine the light on the 8,000 pound elephant sitting on the dining room table, (laughs) which is are they're got they've got this stereotype here. And they're like this, you know?
0: Yeah, yeah. So I can see that that right off the bat is alleviating some of that defensiveness, because you're, you, you know, you're kind of speaking out to what that person is being defensive about.
1: Right. Where the meditation comes in is I help people find that space deep within themselves that feels totally complete. So there where so when they say hey and I'm okay either way, if there's not a fit here, you can say no. And it's not just words. Mm -hmm. Because when the buyer realizes you're fine no matter what, whether you make the sale or not, so many salespeople are transmitting the message they need the business.
2: Yeah.
1: So that, that worsens the defensive posture of the buyer. I, I teach people there's a way, even if you're not doing well in a, in your quota period, if you can find that space inside yourself, that, that knows you're going to be okay, no matter what, you know, then, then your presence is working for you on the sales call, not against you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And that's so big. That's such a big concept. And and I I love to explore that a little bit more. And I, you know, as you were going through your journey, what I love Ganesh is how you've been able to take the Eastern philosophies and then imbue them into sales training and take away the parts that weren't in alignment, right. You've been able to do that beautifully, which, which, yeah, take us, take us down the road of, of what that journey looked like for you a little bit, right. Like as, as you started to uncover this whole, you know, Eastern philosophy and and learn yoga and, and a lot of the listeners that are, that are uh, listening in the audience that's listening in, perhaps they haven't really uh, been exposed to yoga meditation or any of this. Let's take a approach to get them sort of uh, in the, in the know of what this is about and how you've been able to kind of view that and find that place within yourself that says, I'll be okay. Uh, no matter what happens.
1: Let me first demystify, demystify the word meditation.
0: Yeah, please.
1: (laughs) Oh, meditation. Oh, my God. And even when they start doing meditation, if the if the guy doesn't tell them that, hey, you can't mess it up. Everybody's thinking, am I messing it up? And I met first off, you can't mess up meditation. Meditation in its simplest form is just kind of closing your eyes just relaxing. And instead of letting the universe breathe, do you start to become more conscious of your own breath and you sit in a place of non-judgment, most importantly, non-judgment of self non-judgment of your own thoughts and your own feelings. Cause you start to realize and uh, that your mind is a thought machine. It's a tool. Mm-hmm. It's, it ought to be the tool of this higher part of yourself, which you could call your soul or spirit. Mm -hmm. and its job is to produce thoughts and every thought your mind produces almost instant check it out in yourself is almost instantaneously accompanied by a feeling which is either a feeling of okayness or not okayness now when i was a young man in my early 20s you know i didn't feel like i was enough you know i i i felt like uh you know that I always had this feeling of incompleteness that I was trying to fill with maybe if I find the right woman or if I find the right drug or if I buy the right thing. There's always this sense of incompleteness. And, you know, and a lot of times young, young folks in business think, oh, the way to do is get rich. Yeah, if I get rich, I'm going to feel complete. That doesn't necessarily, it, can, it brings a certain amount of freedom, but it doesn't necessarily bring that sense of well-being, which is what I was seeking. So I help people not spending a lot of time like uh, on the new program that we're going to be rolling out soon soon called Ganesh Live. And in addition to a live program that I'll do every week, there's going to be recorded stuff. A lot of three to five minute meditations, which help people just get into the zone, the zone of feeling okay, because that's the best place to have meetings with other human beings. Because you know, human beings are very sensitive, very intuitive. And when you're transmitting, and set aside the words for a minute, through your physiology, through your tonality, when you're transmitting neediness, the other being's primal brain picks it up mm. and immediately says, "Be cautious." This person, this being is trying to get its needs met. It's not really here to help you. And it's over and they, you don't even know it. Most sellers don't know that it's over within seconds. And they didn't know. They thought it's something they said, or, oh, the buyer just had no needs, yada, yada, yada. I, I've heard every excuse under the sun. Or their buyers are uh, you know, just bastards. <laughs> oh, my territory, there's a lot of bastards. Well. They don't realize that they're probably turning their buyers into bastards. <laughs>
0: yeah, it's, it's, okay, um, I've heard
1: some of this stuff out. My sales training is pretty R rated because salespeople can take it, you know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. I'm I'm nodding my head on this side because I have heard that myself. And 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 to be honest, I would say in some point in my career I would have said that myself, you know, of saying it's this or it's always the external um you know when when you're looking for excuses, but I've I've come to the point to realize that it's always coming from the inside and you've pinpointing such a a critical part that's that's often overlooked in Anything related to sales and not necessarily talked about is the, you know, the place that you're coming from. So if that's the the step number zero or step number one, call it, uh, and then everything else come into place to your point, Ganesh, the sales process is important and how you show up and how you ask questions is important, but that is the critical piece that's missing. I, I, I feel is the, are you coming from the right place within yourself? Do you feel like you're enough within yourself is then you know the the rest can start to start to unfold, um, and that's often overlooked. So,
1: it, by the way, then uh, you can talk to anybody. A lot of a lot of reps are like, "Oh, I can't talk to the CIO, or I can't talk to the CEO. I'm just this 26 year old." No, once you d- find that zone, that deep, that space within yourself where you feel complete. You could carry on a constructive conversation with anybody bar none. Mm-hmm.
0: And what are the keys to unlock that place within yourself? So meditation
1: being a key tool for that. I think it's a key to having a regular practice. And it doesn't have to be long. Literally, you could have a 30 minute practice, you know, mm-hmm. or even a 10 minute practice. Uh, but ideally, it's daily, it's regular. You know, and it's like putting. You know, it's like uh, every time you sit to meditate, it's like putting money into your, you know, your soul's bank account, your spiritual.
2: <laughs> account.
1: Yeah. And, you know, and it may not be for everybody. Uh, some some folks find that same space through uh, tai chi, martial arts, or a great workout. Just pumping, they go deep within the, you know, uh, connect with that vast reservoir of strength to be able to bench press four fifty or whatever, you know. You know, it's interesting, but of late, I, you know, for to for to generate revenue for the last thirty-two years, I've been doing sales training. Mm-hmm. But I, I have a you know handful of folks that I provide that have come to me. I, I'm not a professional meditation teacher, but I I work my business partner Frank Garza's son Luca Garza is the uh, is considered to be the best college basketball player in all of North America these days. He plays for Iowa. Hmm. In his senior year, he's averaging 27.2 points a game, almost 10 rebounds. Phenomenal. And uh, uh, Frank asked me to teach him meditation midway through his sophomore year. He had gone six games in a row where he played great. And scored over twenty points and got a rebounds, assists, and then he went six games in a row where he uh, he couldn't even get out of single figures in terms of points. And he's a center, and and uh, so I had a conversation with him, and it turns out he was dealing with a lot of performance. You know, he, once he had done so great, all of a sudden expectations went up. Mm-hmm. And he was dealing with some and he acknowledges it with some internal, a lot of performance anxiety about not being, feeling like he could now measure up to the expectations because the bar was way higher now. Mm-hmm. And so we started talking about this. I said, look, I'm, I, I'm confident that, it, I mean, you, you are, uh, not just enough, you are more than enough, man, to be maybe one of the greatest basketball players of all time we just have to con- help you develop uh, what i call a winning mindset and and learn how to access that place inside you that already knows that mm. that knows that you're complete that, that knows that you're more than enough so we started 3 hours before every game and i even did it today they're playing right now they're uh, he's in the big 10 they're playing minnesota and uh, and i'll watch the video when, when we're done a but uh, uh, every single game, and now I have four of uh, his teammates join us, and we do it by Zoom. Three hours before every game, we do a half-hour session, starting with pranayam, then deep meditation, and then uh, affirmation. And uh, since he started, the first game he did that, he scored 44 points. <laughs> I'm not going to... I'm not gonna take credit for the fact that, that he scored 44 points and dominated the game. And that, but he said he just felt this calm confidence that he'd never felt before. And it was like, uh, 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 Uncle Ganesh, can you, <laughs> can we do it? So we've been doing it ever since. And now, now he operates at this level. And he, I mean, he set a big 10 record for most games and, and still going on most game consecutive games scoring over 20 points. And that's a huge achievement in college basketball. They only, a game is only 40 minutes. So that also increased my conviction. So I, I started, even with my sales training students, putting a little bit more emphasis. Still, we spend probably 80% of the time talking selling systems, you know, methodology, uh, uh, you know, I call it, you got mindset, You've got uh, messaging and you got methodology. So it used to be, uh, you know, in the early days of training, I barely talked about meditation at all mm. because people were a little, uh, you know, they were a little got a little uncomfortable, certain organization. And I, you know, so I, I maybe slip it in a little bit here and there, but. You know, and then over the last 10 years, I've spent maybe 80% of the time talking methodology, strategies, tactics, and 15, 20% of the time talking the power meditation. Now I'd say it's about one third meditation, two thirds methodology. And that seems to be the right mix. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And the folks that I'm training are, are are doing like Luca. They're just, you know, having their best years by far.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and and I and I love you kind of explain that that transition too because it you know just spirituality and and specifically meditation it's becoming more of the norm. In, in, in the common public, or it's becoming more. People become more aware of the benefits, right? There's been Harvard studies. There's, you know, because the the, the, the mental space we need we need uh, scientific research to prove something that's been proven thousands of years ago, but we now believe it because we've seen, you know, some of these uh, organizations do studies
1: on them, research on them. And I, I read completely- one of the Harvard studies, and here's what they say happens: the the normal human being is taking twelve to sixteen breaths per minute. When you get anxious, you start breathing shallower, and you start breathing taking twenty to thirty breaths per minute. You know, almost one every two seconds. When you're panicky, your breath rate is over thirty breaths per minute. So what you know what the study was saying is if you can get people to slow and deepen their breathing, maybe even do a four part breathing, where a long, slow, deep inhale, then you hold it as long as you comfortably can then long, slow exhale, this is through both nostrils, then you hold it out as long as you can. You do that five, 10 minutes, you get to a point where your breath rate is down to maybe, could be one breath per minute instead of 30, or two breaths per minute. And what happens is when you're when you're taking 20 breaths per minute, your mind is producing a lot more thoughts per millisecond. So you gotta sort through all this and it can feel chaotic. And, a good percentage of those thoughts can be accompanied by not okay feelings, producing anxiety. When you get your breath rate and you're breathing slow and deep, your mind is producing fewer thoughts. And I got to tell you, man, they're much higher caliber thoughts, (laughs) much higher as you know, because I think you're a meditator.
0: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I completely agree. And, you know, I have in the previous episodes, I've I've brought up the point of meditation and how, how big of an impact that's have, have had in my life. And oftentimes, you know, meditation is confused for only being the act of meditation, right? It's left on the pillow, so to speak, right? But what, what people don't realize is that that is practice for right. then you uh, it, doing whatever it is that you're doing, how you're showing up uh, with your family, how you're showing up with your coworkers, how you're showing up with your clients. It's practice for, for real life in a way. Uh, so I, I, yeah, I
1: love that. the idea is to, all right, yes, you have your daily practice, but then you take that meditative mind out into the world and you apply it to all your activities, mm-hmm. you know, and you and you're more patient. You're a better listener. You have higher caliber questions. When it's time to speak, your words have more impact. You know, I I, I mean, some of my clients, they don't want the meditation, fine. I I mean, I'm happy doing 100% messaging and methodology. It's still powerful. But most of them are attracted to us because they're realizing the power, you know, of combining both hemispheres of the brain, of combining East and West. both are best Mm -hmm. you know western business practices can be very proactive sometimes a little overly aggressive which is why when you balance it out with the you know the eastern practices which are about being more becoming more of a human being than just a human doing Mm -hmm. I like that one and, uh, it's a very powerful combination that, you know, the blending of the best of the East and West in business.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I love the way that you break it down as the one third is the, the meditation, getting into the frame, to be able to go into conversations and be more effective and be present. You know, that's a big piece yeah. of just being there rather than being in, in closing the deal already, <laughs> you know, you're, even they before you
1: feel <laughs> They know if you're fully present or if you're off in your mind counting your commissions already.
0: (laughs) That's that's the that's the commission breath, right? Uh, That that starts to come in when uh, when you when you hop into the conversation.
1: Especially Uh, late in the quota period when you're getting pressure (laughs) from your managers.
0: (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. And you know that that goes into you know integrity as well, right? Is is are you you know what are your beliefs? about sales and your position and what you do right hey, I, I, I,
1: yeah transparency honesty is the best policy when people realize you have integrity and your intention is to do what's right and and uh, uh, you know you're the first person they call mm-hmm I've had uh, a situation where I even told them that uh, we weren't a good fit. And they said, well, they start convincing, me, but but Ganesh, can you help us with this, this? And it was because they didn't want, they wanted me in their life. Yeah.
2: Yeah.
1: Because one of the things I teach is, you know, with technology reps, a lot of times people bring up uh, technical issues that your solution at this point in time can't address. Maybe r and D's working on it. Maybe it's going to be in a future release. And a lot of times their first inclination is, well, I'm not going to bring it up. Mm-hmm. You know, what I train people is to put it right on the table and I say, well, Tej, I'm concerned this challenge that you brought up, uh, you know, uh, we, our, our solution doesn't currently address that. There may be some working or workarounds, but the fact that, and it sounds very important to you, the fact that we don't address that issue, does that mean you'd be reluctant to continue our discussion? And people are all saying, oh, hell no, Ganesh, I mean... Uh, we've been living with that for 10 years. And I say, well, I want you to know, I'm going to share what you've told me with r and I know other clients and prospective clients. I know they're working on it, but I'm not going to say, oh, it's going to be in the next release. Because I'm not sure of that. Mm-hmm. They respect that. And you know what? If it's a deal killer, when do you want to know? <laughs> you want to know now? Or three months later, after you've invested hours and hours of your valuable time, your your colleagues' valuable time, energy, and resources. Mm-hmm. This whole system that I teach is about getting to the truth yep. and having yep. heart-to-heart conversations, not head-to-head conversations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, that, that's, that's a very interesting point that you mentioned in, in the end, right? The head-to-head versus heart-to-heart. And... I think partly a lot of what we're talking about is coming into that heart space and coming into the place of alignment where you can have those conversations and yeah. often again, often overlooked, not 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 uh talked about, especially in, in sales and sales training. So I appreciate what you're doing. Um and, and I wanna get into the messaging and the methodology part of it too, but just just really quickly, a last question on the on the alignment piece, because you know, when people talk about integrity, honesty, and truthfulness, oftentimes it has to come from that heart space, right? It has to come from a place yeah. of, of truthfulness because you can you can say it because you hear this quite often, right? You, you hear this in, in, in organizations quite often be have integrity, but, it, you know, what I wanted to ask you is how do you actually come from a place of integrity and not just talk about coming from a place of integrity? And I think some of it goes to what we were just talking about is can you find it
1: within yourself? Right. Uh, Because in that zone that we talked about that you can get to, it's almost a thoughtless zone Mm -hmm. sometimes, but when you get, get into that zone, it's about, I mean, that's where your better angels are Mm -hmm. and you get to the point where, you know, you, you catch yourself, even if you, you know, because, Hey, look, first 10 years of my sales career, sometimes, you know, I'm not proud of this, but I would do anything, say anything to make a sale.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And and it, you know it's still in there somewhere, so but now I have a filter. When that part of myself, which I don't consider the best part of myself, manifests or makes a suggestion, you know, because it's got a voice on the committee. Yeah, <laughs> I, know I, I got a committee up here with multiple voices, but yeah. it, I'm able to better discern, you know, which voice to listen to and which voice to give it a hug and say, okay, okay, but we're not doing it your way today because <laughs> that's called manipulation. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, and when people sense that you're right out of the gate, you're operating from total integrity. And then and then every time they meet up with you and talk to you, you're like the sun, they, it's predictable. You're consistently shining and coming from here and coming from a place of integrity, boy. The relationships you develop in business live a lifetime.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: My business, I don't have to market. I mean, I, I trained 25 guys and from 1989 to uh, uh, 1991 at Landmark Systems in Tysons Corner, Virginia. I was working one-on-one. I had two days a week there. I had an office there. And I, I could trace almost all of my business back to those 25 folks because they, they moved to different places. they, they A lot of them embraced these, this philosophy, did extremely well. And a lot of them are CROs, CEOs of some of the most successful tech companies on the planet. All I have to do is check voicemail mm-hmm. or email, and it's one of those guys saying, hey, am I, I'm now at ABC company. Can you come in and help my people? They don't even try to negotiate price because I don't discount.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah, and- price is never the issue. If I'm not convinced I can give somebody a fabulous return on investment, I tell them and I tell them not to hire me. And I also tell them, Hey, I'll give you a discount on one condition. You promise not to hire me. <laughs> told me 10 minutes ago that one of your problems was too much discounting. So you want to hire a sales training that does a sales trainer that doesn't believe in the value he or she brings to the table. Uh-uh. Yeah. I love that.
0: (laughs) That's great. And and that's really living by your values, right? It it goes, goes to the point that I was just mentioning of, you know, if if you're not truly coming from that place, but just saying it, then there's disalignment and it's picked up quite easily. And you mentioned the the point that I really like is the reptile part of us picks up the reptile part. If you're coming from that place, you're going to get caught, you know, even unconsciously without anything that you're saying. And, and I, I, I've, I've kept the conversation here because I think it's so important and often overlooked. Is is this piece around alignment and coming from this this place?
1: Hey, we can do a part two someday if you want to.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So so perhaps for the last few minutes, let's talk a little bit about the messaging and the mythology. Like how how have you created that system? And I think you you sprinkled in the, you know what that looks like throughout the course of the conversation. But just-, well,
1: just let me tell you what I mean by messaging. Yeah. You know, uh, especially when you're selling complex, big-dollar technical solutions, oftentimes there's multiple people involved in the decision process. Sometimes the budget comes from multiple places. So you you need to have conversations sometimes with the CIOs, sometimes with the CTO, sometimes with a project manager, sometimes with the CFO, sometimes with the CEO. So you need to go into these conversations also understanding, all right, what are the challenges that you suspect a CTO might be facing in the areas that your solution addresses?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: What are the challenges that a CIO, because the challenges vary. You know, so many salespeople are in their 25, you know, they, got, they have their 25, 30 second elevator pitch. Mm-hmm. Oh, and, you know it's got the same three feature benefits this or that no i want my students to be able to ask a question like you know typically let's say you were to, you've got uh, you're talking on the business side to a vp of sales because you sell a crm you know and uh you, you need to be able to and, and you've got somebody that's not quite ready to open up and talk to you about their challenges yet because they don't necessarily see you as the doctor mm-hmm. <laughs> they see you as a sales guy So you might say, you know, typically when I talk to VPs of of sales like yourself, and uh, and of course this may not be the case for you, but typically I hear things like pain, 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 gain, gain, gain. And then you got to plug in challenges, for example, that, you know, you suspect somebody Who's working with this kind of organization in this kind of uh, you know vertical has and uh, you know if it, I call it's called developing a pain gain sales readiness toolkit because some folks aren't ready to talk to you but if you if you put in two or three challenges that they are facing and you say hey this may not be the case of you but typically when I talk to a VP sales like you about this subject about a CRM I hear the following. And then you lay out three things and, and they're good. This was, you, you know, you, you, created a mastermind group and you got the right bullet points. They're going to go, they're thinking, wow, <laughs> I have all of those challenges. So they're, they're thinking, Hmm, maybe this guy is not your typical salesman. Maybe this guy, first off, this guy's talking to other VPs of sales like me, because mm-hmm. VPs of sales are interested in what other VPs of sales are saying and doing. And then secondly, you put down in the form of a multiple choice question, three challenges. And that's the messaging, the messaging of the bullet points in the question that resonate for this person. So he might say, well, uh, Ganesh, the fact is I have all three of those challenges. Mm -hmm. Now, then you need to be disciplined enough not to have what I call salesman's disease or premature presentation syndrome. Oh, let me tell you. No, and then you got to say, oh, well, I appreciate you being, give them a reward, give them some validation. appreciate you your, your being candid with me. Well, of those three that I just mentioned, if you had to pick the one that's your biggest challenge right now, what is it? Oh, and they'll say, well, B. And then it's now instead of telling them how you're gonna address B, say, well, tell me more about it. How does it show up in your organization? Could you be a little more specific ah what have you how long have you been dealing with it what have you done in those eight months to try to improve the situation so uh, it's a road map but the messaging having the right bullet points is a is great to, is uh helps you to get the conversation in the gear to get them opened up to give you credibility that you can ask that intelligent of a question mm-hmm. And sometimes you can't ask somebody an open-ended question. Well, what are the biggest challenges you're facing today with your current CRM? Ah, we're good. Now, where do you go?
2: Yeah.
1: <laughs> well, well, typically when I talk to VPs of sales yeah. about their CRM, I hear, oh, well, we may be them what CRM you currently use. Oh, we're using goldmine. Ah, oh, I hear goldmine's good. What do you like about goldmine? Well, it's funny thing is when you ask that question, they usually start telling you what they don't like, you know, <laughs> or they tell you what they like. That, and as a seller, you need to know what they like. If it's in a replacement situation, you need to know what they like about their current solution. Mm-hmm. But then after that, they're going to say, Hey, nobody's perfect. Even ABC, if they could be, if their system could do one or two things a tad bit better for you, Tej, what are they?
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Now they're well, you know, now you got a nice flow going so the so there's a so we have a selling system a sequence of steps but also uh, i train people in the common sense human relations skills to you know to get yourself into the leadership position in the first place and maintain that leadership position and a big part of it is understands is believing that your system of selling the way you approach a conversation is truly in the best interest of both parties. Cuz a lot of times the buyer said, "Well just show me a demo." And I "Well I'd be happy to show you a demo, but it's a pretty complicated solution. Do you have 10 hours?" <laughs> well, no I don't. Look, let me make this suggestion. Give me 20 minutes to better understand your current situation. Then then I'll be able to tell you first off whether or not I think we can help. Mm-hmm. And if I think we can and you feel like it's important enough, then we can plan for a for a a demo in our next meeting that's tailored to hit the center of the target for what you really care about. Are you comfortable if we approach it that way? And 95 out of 100 times, if people are enjoying you, it's see, see, Tej, what I teach is common sense. It's common sense that's painfully uncommon in the sales profession. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think I was saying this to you last time we were speaking, Ganesh, is, is a, a, a phrase that I oftentimes use is common sense is not common practice. And that, that you know, explains it, explains it quite effectively where, you know, a lot of the things that you're speaking about is it makes complete sense. Like everything that you've stated today, you know, as I hear it, it makes complete sense to me. But to your point, it is not common practice. This is not the way that sales are done. Um, and this is, this is not just applicable to sales. You know, any profession that you're in, you, know, you can apply these principles of coming from a place of integrity, coming from a place of fullness within yourself. So then you can show up effectively for the, for the client and not for yourself, because you know, that, that, that often happens as you're externalizing your need onto them, whereas you're not just sitting there listening you know, and, and really understanding what the, the challenge of the client is and, and,
1: and uh, supporting the, their vision of where they want to go in the future. Um, well, nicely stated. And, and the other key component is that uh, it's not just about being a great listener. It's like every step of the way, there needs to be a mutual level of commitment. Mm. And most people don't have any clue how to do that. You can't force other people to be as committed as you are to a next step you know, but you can find out mm-hmm. and, 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 uh, you know, that's why it's so important. Even after you understand their technical challenges, you understand the, the business challenges related to those challenges. You've got to find out, Hey, you know, a, 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 a finding a better way to address these issues
2: mm-hmm.
1: that we've been discussing today, how high of a personal priority to you is this? Mm -hmm. Because if they can't convince me, it's not me convincing them. Yeah, The buyer can't convince me that finding a better way is a high personal priority to them. Then I'm going to start moving towards the door. Mm Because I don't want to engage, I don't want to be involved in a situation where I, like I said before, have to degenerate from a dignified human being into a common household pest, leaving voicemail messages and emails that nobody returns. I feel like I've got a drag. And furthermore, I train people that it's not unreasonable. It's actually a requirement before you invest significant resource in trying to prove that you have the right solution, Mm -hmm. that you got a firm commitment from the prospective client that they'll take the time. And it doesn't have to be a long time, but take the time to co-build the plan that defines the most effective, efficient way to work together. So they have what they need to be, be able to say yes or no. And listen to this, a mutually agreeable time frame. So you don't have to try to arm wrestle them to the mat after six months, you know, or use some old you know, price goes up on Monday technique or <laughs> an event close or the Ben Franklin close. Pardon my expression, that old stuff is old. Buyers are way more sophisticated, but if you ask them. Would it be unreasonable, Tej, that if, uh, that uh, I asked you for a a small commitment before I invest the kind of time, energy and resources that's going to be required to prove to you and your colleagues that this solution is right? Mm -hmm. And they go, well, well, it depends on what it is. Well, first, that you'll spend some time co-building a, for lack of a better term, a project plan with us that defines the most effective, efficient way for us to work together. So we can get you what you need into the right people in the most effective, efficient way, and that you'll give us a clear yes or no to a pre-negotiated deal in a mutually agreeable time frame, and a no's entirely okay.
2: Mm-hmm. But
1: I want to make sure you and I don't get in this uncomfortable uh, situation where uh, you know uh, I had I uh, you know we have to play this cat and mouse game.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Or I degenerate into a common household pest, which is even worse for you, because you don't need some fly landing on your nose every three days saying, oh, have you made up your mind or could you, could you bring me up to date, you know? And that happens 90% of the time from, in most buyer-seller interactions. I call it mutual mystification, it's ugly.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And the seller, and that's one, one main reason that so many young salespeople leave sales when it's a noble profession, and they could make a small fortune if they got good at it. Yeah, yeah. And I,
0: that that the word that ke- came up is the transparency and uh, piece, right? The openness right from the beginning, and that could ev- alleviate so many of these challenges that you're you're speaking to Ganesh, and and I appreciate you you mentioning that frame for individuals, right? For sellers specifically, and for buyers too. You know, as you're as you're going through this conversation, it's you know, it, it really, what stands out to me is a 50-50 interaction, 50% here, 50% here. It's not, you know, you trying to, you know, extract a sale out of this individual. It's, it's you know, you're both going into the journey. You're not just closing a deal. You can't just sell your alone. <laughs> you need the buyer to be exactly. to you halfway,
1: um, which is such an important piece. And you know what, when you do it that way and you do it in a nurturing way, in a diplomatic way, uh, You command respect; they respect you, and you you have a certain gravitas that they admire. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: And and and, uh, you know because you're valuing your you're valuing their time, but you're also valuing your own time. Mm -hmm. It's not a master servant relationship like it typically is with, especially with younger buyers, and that's why. I, I, I'm I'm training thousands and thousands and thousands of millennial salespeople, you know, for companies like Salesforce and LinkedIn and Dropbox, and and they love this because wow, because you know a, a lot of times I mean these are these are brilliant young people who have great personalities, but you give them a bag and a quota and they morph into this unrecognizable entity, you know, <laughs> and. And they don't even like themselves. They don't, you know, they don't feel good when they go to sleep at night. They feel like they need to take a shower. Yeah, learn <laughs> the other way, you sleep well at night.
0: Yeah, yeah. I'm business. Yeah, I'm laughing, Ganesh, because I know a few of them. <laughs> so, so, so I'm getting, and, and perhaps I was one at one given point. And I, you know, I went on my own journey um, of, of you know, kind of leaving the corporate force and finding my own path and and meditating and and all of that to be able to find that. Place within myself that you explain of um, to be able to come back and realize that yes, I can I can still sell, but and I can also be uh, coming from a place of of truthfulness and this 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 fullness within me. So uh, I I I so have enjoyed our conversation and how we've we've structured it, you know, because it's really talking about the first and foremost work on yourself. You know, put that mirror and look internally, and, and where are you coming from? Uh, in, in your conversations and then the messaging and the method comes after right that's secondary um and you explain
1: winning mindsets on the top of that triangle
0: yeah but you got to bring the right you yeah can you talk about the just a little bit the winning mindset piece because you mentioned that before too um and, and what that looks like
1: well it's also the power of positive mind you
2: know mm-hmm.
1: and 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 making ensuring that uh Every interaction is uplifting to the other person, even if they decide not to buy. Mm-hmm. Like a, you know, you're leaving people with a good taste,
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know, and I even, sometimes I'm working with companies and I say, you know, it's really important that every touch between one of your employees and, and a, an employee of one of your prospective client or client organizations ought to leave the uh your the person on your client side feeling like wow I really like these folks they're different they mm-hmm. can't
2: mm-hmm.
1: you know and uh so but but part of the winning mindset is uh, you is, is feeling complete within yourself developing this deep sense of okayness with yourself the balancing of mind body and spirit hmm right? The yoga part, I mean, sometimes, I've, you know, I, I'll, t- I'll teach an occasional client, I'll, I'll put them in a yoga class, too, teach them how having a flexible body, too, helps you have a flexible mind and be able to flow. So when, you know, it's like a river, a river hits a rock, well, it flows around it, but it keeps moving forward. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So that- big part of success is just the ability to flow. Mm-hmm. And and uh, and uh, you know and overcome adversity.
0: Yeah, yeah. Thank thank you for walking through that, Ganesh. It's 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 so wonderful that you have a system around this and you're teaching this to some of the biggest tech companies. Um, you know, I've I've had uh, my own taste of this and something that I've created internally or the way that I show up, really. Um, but I, I've I've so enjoyed learning from you and and how you've been able to take so many years of your experience and create this create this system. To, to help uh, to help salespeople and help organizations be more effective in showing up for their clients, um, and I truly believe this this is the the, the new marketplace, right? You're at you're yeah. the catalyst, and I think this is happening more and more. You're hearing this in little pockets. You know, it's not the norm. I, I wouldn't say it's the norm, but by, by any means of the imagination, but it is, is it is percolating. You're seeing it in different places. You're seeing different you know, um, sales trainers and organizations wanting to imbue the marketplace with this sort of consciousness, you know, this is the new well, way of selling.
1: Mark Benioff at Salesforce. I mean, yeah. they're really committed to helping uh, their clients succeed.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and I,
1: also making a contribution to the planet through philanthropy, you know, and
0: and, and. and that, you know, excites me, that excites me about the future of what organizations can be and it really happens through these these microcosms right you know mark Benihoff on, on a on a macro he's 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 making the changes but you know you can be the catalyst of change through your microcosm changing the connotation of what a salesperson looks like interaction One after conversation in and <laughs> <laughs> I was just going to say that. you, you, you picked that from the field. <laughs> one conversation at a time. Uh, and, and that's so beautiful. You know I, I so appreciate having you know uh, being a sales manager myself and you know coaching people, uh, this is something that I'll take w- with myself and start to imbue this into, into my own culture and become the catalyst for you know changing the perspective there in, in that way because I think it's so important and, and it makes complete sense everything that you've stated now. If you piqued someone interest, Uh, about your system and they want to get involved you said you have a new course coming up uh soon as well how can how can people engage with you perhaps they want to get trained by you you know where should they go
1: well why why not just text me directly uh uh, 703-517-2233 or go to our website consciousselling.com and uh where where else uh, one of those places will be fine, but, uh, or email me at Ganesh at conscious selling.com and we'll start a dialogue. There you go.
0: There you go. And I'll link your LinkedIn as well. That way. If somebody. prefers oh, yeah. that, email. Email. Yeah.
1: Like email me like, yeah.
0: You did. yeah, yeah. Like I did. Yes. Yes. Uh, and that was the story of how I found Ganesh is through a, through a, a friend of mine. Who uh, saw Ganesh? Uh, I think on his LinkedIn ventures, you know, as he was exploring the LinkedIn universe, and he thought we'd uh, we'd make a really good conversation. So thank you, Danilo, if you're listening in for uh, for for the recommendation, and thank you, Ganesh, for being open to this conversation. This has been super fruitful. I can keep you for another hour. Perhaps we'll do a second episode to to, to dig in to some yeah. of the some of the the elements you mentioned. Uh, but this has been such a great conversation. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Well, thank you, man. It's been a real pleasure to get you to know, get to know you as a human being. You know. Thank you're, you. You're quite a bright light.
0: Thank you so much, Ganesh. Really, and I appreciate what you're doing uh, out there in the marketplace. So appreciate it. <music>